The Harp, 1939. Augusta Savage, Painted Plaster. The magnificent work of art before you is one of the best-known endeavors of the great sculptor Augusta Savage. A fixture of the Harlem Renaissance, Savage's considerable talents caught the attention of the New York World's Fair, which commissioned the piece for their 1939 exhibition. And at 16 feet tall, the beauty and power of the harp is impossible to ignore. Savage took inspiration for the sculpture from the James Weldon Johnson poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, and which was set to music by Johnson's brother, J. Rosamond Johnson. She reimagines a harp featuring, instead of strings, the stylized forms in graduated heights of 12 African-American children dressed in what appear to be choir robes. Instead of a sounding board, Savage creates an arm and a hand outstretched up towards the heavens. Instead of a foot pedal, a kneeling man holding the harp choir's music. It is truly breathtaking in its majesty. And to think that it was very nearly lost to time. To think that the world came so close to losing such an exemplary piece of art. Well, technically speaking, it did, albeit for a brief time. It is fascinating, the tale of how the harp was saved. At the conclusion of the World's Fair, Savage had no means of storing the piece, nor any funds to make a cast of it. And so the harp, like so many other art pieces commissioned for the fair, was set to be destroyed. But then, something remarkable happened. According to eyewitness accounts, just as the harp was about to be demolished, the earth began to tremble, and a great roar echoed across the fairgrounds. Children cried, clutching onto parents who were just as frightened as their progeny, as a great swath of darkness appeared beneath the sculpture and, like viscous oil escaping the confines of gravity, began to climb up the statue, encasing it, swallowing it, and slowly pulling it into the nothingness from which it came. As quickly as the commotion started, the living darkness and the harp had disappeared. And reappeared in the gallery in which you now stand. In this very same spot, in fact. Deposited in the same way it was claimed, or rather reclaimed, from the brink of destruction. We know that these events, the statue's disappearance in New York and its reappearance here at the museum, happened nearly simultaneously, as Annabel Godfrey had sent a representative to the World's Fair with the precise purpose of scouting new work for the museum's collection. By the time the representative had found a telephone to call Annabel and inform her of what had happened, the harp was already recorporealizing in the museum halls. Though she berated the representative for not purchasing the piece outright from Savage before it was slated for destruction, and in turn causing a scene that frightened many a museum guest, Annabelle was pleased that the piece had been salvaged all the same. Savage was immediately notified that her masterpiece was safe and whole, and Annabelle personally offered to ship it back to her in New York. When the question of storing the piece remained an issue, Annabelle asked Savage if she would be willing to sell it to the Godfrey estate instead. Savage agreed, and was sent payment both for her work and for the emotional distress of seeing it engulfed by an amorphous supernatural entity. And so, the harp has been a highlight here at the Godfrey ever since.
Need a break from the seemingly endless gallery halls? Are the names and images of all the artwork starting to run together, forming an incoherent mass of cultural facts within your mind? Try changing it up by looking at pieces of structural beauty with the Architecture Tour. This twice-daily tour is led by knowledgeable Godfrey staff members who can't wait to reveal the hidden gems and occasional dark and terrible secrets waiting on this unique tour of the estate. The design of the estate itself is as famous as any of the priceless pieces of art that can be found within its walls. Architect Frank Gehry and artist MC Escher are both on record saying the design is, quote, really quite something. The first tour of the day will depart from the atrium in approximately five minutes. Interested patrons may join the tour guide near the information desk. Just look for the Godfrey staff member wearing a scale model of the estate as a ceremonial headpiece. For those guests who have made their way deep into the galleries, I recommend exiting through the gift shop at the end of whichever gallery or exhibit you are currently in. It will return you much more expediently to the ground floor. Frame, 1922. Anonymous. Concrete, steel, mahogany, and gold inlay. This work has been a feature of the Godfrey since its construction, and has fascinated the more contemplative of our guests since the doors first opened to the public. Rumor has it that it even inspired composer John Cage's famous piece, 433, which he created shortly after his first visit to the estate. Perhaps the oddest quirk about this piece is that it does not appear in any known blueprints for the museum. The foreman of the construction team discovered it, half-built, while the workers in charge of this particular wing were in the middle of creating it. When asked about the structure, and why it was there when, by all accounts, it should not have been, the responsible parties all issued the same story in answer. They all, individually, said they just felt that it belonged there, and so they built it. Incidentally, these same members of the construction crew reported strange dreams in the days and weeks leading up to the frame's construction and eventual discovery. A common thread amongst the reported dreams was a voice speaking out of a vast nothingness, dark and writhing, urging them, compelling them, to build it. The voice, they said, never told them what it was. But the voice did not need to. They knew. And so they built it. They seemed shocked when shown the blueprints with an empty space where the structure stood. But it's supposed to be here, they said. We were told it's supposed to be here. When pressed about who had told them so, they would not answer. Or perhaps they could not answer. Step up to the frame. Closer. That's it. Though it stands just over six feet tall and four and a half feet wide, located in the center of one of our busiest galleries, the frame is surprisingly unobtrusive. This is perhaps due to the materials used in its construction. The steel and concrete that makes up most of this piece is the very same that makes up the walls, the ceiling, the foundation beneath the tiled floor, the very bones of the building in which you now stand. Even the mahogany and gold that create the more ornamental aspects of the work were taken from supplies for other parts of the museum's construction. The foreman was less than thrilled to learn that supplies had been pilfered in this way, though when Annabelle learned of the reason behind it, 
she interceded on behalf of the workers and encouraged them to finish the project. Look through it. What do you see? Some have called this work an empty frame. Understandable. It is more structural oddity than art. No canvas hangs within it. No paper, no ink, no pigment. No images of any kind are displayed within it. Or are there? Do you see other patrons walking through the gallery? Are you regarding them as they regard the art? Are they young? Are they old? Are they somewhere in that infinite spectrum between young and old? Do they stroll along, their pace brisk, taking in the art around them as if it were passing them by from behind the window of a moving vehicle, to be admired briefly and then forgotten in a moment? Do they stop and take their time at each piece? Or at just a few? What catches their eye and makes them really look at what's in front of them? Are any of them watching you from the other side of the frame? Are you a part of the living picture that they see? For the frame is both empty and not. It is void and vibrancy. It just depends on your perspective. Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. Enjoying your trip to the estate? To keep up with the Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. If you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum.